It's not that uh, Patty and I are cheap, um, but we've got to be careful how we use our money. And for that reason, we've chosen not to spend our money on cable TV. Uh, we just can't uh, justify the expense. But we do have a TV antenna that picks up, theoretically, 50 free channels floating in the air if the wind is blowing in the right way and our heads are tilted in the right direction. Uh, we will get the local channels, KPTV, KOIN, KGW, KATU. We get four uh, OPB channels, as well as ION and Laugh and Cozy and Posi TV and Circle and Grit and dozens more. But the two channels that we watch the most are MeTV and GetTV. Now the problem with MeTV and GetTV is that they only show the old standards. And the problem with watching only the old standards is that all the key actors and actresses are dead. <laughs> 12 noon on MeTV, Patty likes to watch The Waltons. And so whether she's fixing lunch or eating lunch, The Waltons are on. They may be on just as background sound, or they may be on because we're sitting and watching it. But you watch The Waltons, and there's John Walton Sr., Ralph Waite, dead. Uh, there's Grandpa Walton, uh, Will Gear. Well, he's dead too. And, and then there's Ellen Corby playing Grandma Walton. And there's Cora Beth Godsey, who's Ronnie Claire Edwards. There's Ike Godsey, Joe Conley. There's Reverend Matthew Fordwick, who is, as we all know, John Ritter. There's the Baldwin sisters. And all those people are dead, 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 and dead. Then it's one o'clock on MeTV, and if we're not done with lunch, we're watching Gunsmoke. And uh, there's Matt Dillon, played by James Arness, and he's dead. And then there's Festus, played by Ken Curtis, and he too is dead. And then there's Miss Kitty, Amanda Blake, who's also dead. And then there's Doc, Milburn Stone, who, well, he's dead too. And then, if we're still sitting there and it's two o'clock, then Bonanza comes on. <laughs> and you got Ben Cartwright, and you got Haas, and you got little Joe, Lauren Green, Dan Blocker, Michael Landon, and dead, dead, and dead. And then at three o'clock, the rifleman comes on. And you got Lucas McCain, and that's Chuck Connors. And then you got uh, Mark McCain, played by Johnny Crawford. By the way, if you want to know what I looked like in the sixth grade, there it is. <laughs> I was Johnny uh, Crawford's stage double at that point. But they're both dead. And then at night, around five o'clock, Patty's cooking dinner. And often she'll turn on Get TV. And on Get TV is none other than the Rockford Files. And so whether it's background noise or whether we're actually eating dinner or watching it, you got James Garner, you've got Noah Beery, and you've got Stuart. Margolin and Stewart just died last month. And so you've got dead, dead, and dead. And by the time the, the night is over, I have viewed the obituary page on TV so many times, apparently, that I'm clinically depressed. <laughs> then this time of the year, you know, 2002 is turning into 2023, and often they will show on TV those who have 
passed on who were notable in the entertainment business or in the sports business. And so Kirstie Alley passed away at the age of 71, which means she was two years younger than I am, which makes me nervous. Uh, then you got James Kahn. Who's that? Ricky Nelson. Tony Dow, the older brother in The Beaver. And I do have a connection with The Beaver. Uh, I dated his cousin in junior high school, and uh, she looked just like The Beaver, except she was a she. Queen Elizabeth passed away this year at the age of 96. I included Clarence Gilliard Jr. because I always appreciated his acting. I just thought he did a great job. But he was only 66 when he passed away this year. Then there's Mikhail Gorbachev. And then, do you know who Estelle Harris is? Who knows who Estelle Harris is? Anybody? One, two, and everybody else will know as soon as I put it up. She passed away at the age of 93. Then there's Franco Harris, for all you Oakland Raider fans. The Immaculate Reception. And then Ann Hesch. Ann Hesch was raised in a Christian home. Her mom was just a solid Christian. And Ann knew the gospel, but did not embrace the gospel as an adult, which I just think is so sad. 53. Naomi Judd, the very famous Angela Lansbury. She was famous when I was born. <laughs> I, I mean, would she have a 70-year career in theater? Just amazing. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, I put up both pictures for a reason. <laughs> Did you know that he's Jimmy Swaggart's cousin? Yeah. And Mickey Gildy's cousin? And then Loretta Lynn, what a great voice she had. I put up Roger Mosley because I really appreciated him in Magnum P.I. Uh, Olivia Newton-John. For you soccer fans, Pele passed away right at the end of December. Uh, Sidney Poitier, one of my favorite players, was Bill Russell because I was a, a Boston fan as a kid. And I love Bill Russell and, and all the players on that particular team. Um, Bob Saget, um, for baseball fans, Vin Scully, uh, what a voice he had. Uh, Ivana Trump passed away, and then um, Barbara Wawa, as someone said, uh, no, Barbara Walters. And then one day, Pastor Tim is going to come to church, and he's going to begin the service with these words. <laughs> he's going to say, this past week, my father, Pastor Rod Barons, died. The memorial service will be next Sunday after church at 3 p.m. at the Springwater Cemetery. This will not be a celebration of life service since Dad on more than one occasion said that every memorial service in Scripture, every funeral, without exception, was a time of sorrow because death was not God's desire and life is brief. So no smiling, no joking will be allowed. Uh, violators will be ushered to their cars and trucks by Dan, Tony, or Greg. As you know, Dad was more traditional. And so we're bringing in pews for folks to sit in during the service with a couple of stained glass windows hanging from the trees. The problem is that the gravesite is on an incline, so you might want to bring your own lawn chairs. Even though Pastor Rod liked the traditional hymns, we're going to have Dave Wyatt open the service playing his guitar and singing, Outskirts of Heaven. 
even though it is a song that is biblically compromised. <laughs> then Laura and Brian will lead us in one of Dad's favorite hymns, Rock of Ages, accompanied by Ben on the tuba. We're gonna, we were going to have George play, but the extension cord would not reach his electric guitar. Todd and Janie will then sing the country song, If We Never Meet Again, The Sight of Heaven. And finally, Vern will sing, When All Is Said and Done. When it's all been said and done, there's just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and done, all my treasures will mean nothing. Only what I've done for love's reward will stand the test of time. Lord, your mercy is so great that you look beyond our weakness and find pure gold in miry clay, making sinners into saints. I will always sing your praise here on earth and ever after. For you've shown me heaven's my true home when it's all been said and done. You're my life when life is gone. The ancient world was terrified of death. We know that because we read their literature. Uh, Greco-Roman authors such as Euripides and Cicero and Seneca spoke often of death in their writings and how there was so much fear amongst their countrymen. Epictetus wrote this, Where can I go to escape death? Show me the country, show me the people to whom I may go, upon whom death does not come. Show me a magic charm against it. If I have none, what do you wish me to do? I cannot avoid death. The great philosopher Epicurus said, when it comes to death, we all live in an unwalled city. That is, there's no protection from it. We're vulnerable. We're open. Philo, a Jewish writer, in the first century said, nothing is so calculated to enslave the mind as fearing death while craving a desire to live. So the ancients feared death. Do you? Are you afraid to die? Death is often a, a taboo subject, but in past centuries it was not. The people were surrounded by death. Life expectancies were shorter, medical knowledge and intervention was limited. The percentage of infants dying was over 10 times what it is today. And death commonly occurred in the home, with the whole family standing near. Not like today, where we're detached from the suffering and pain that is taking place in the hospital. Death was just an all-too-common part of life. You couldn't escape it. You couldn't avoid it. You saw it all the time. But today, life expectancies have gone up and funerals have become sterile. Uh, we have seeker-sensitive mem uh, memorial services. There's no body. There's no casket. And don't you dare use the D word. Instead, you're supposed to be positive and upbeat and celebrate life. Now, I know that not everyone fears death. There are those who say that they're 
They're not afraid to die. Because they deny the existence of God and they, they de deny any afterlife. And so in their minds, they believe that death is it. And it's the final curtain call. It's the, the final last line on the closing page of the final chapter of our existence. So that as soon as you die, you become nothing more than potential worm food. And for all practical purposes, you just cease to exist. Some people aren't afraid to die because they have succeeded in blocking death out of their minds. They're too busy with life to be thinking about death. They deliberately avoided the subject so long that they numbed their minds to the reality and the ramifications of death. But those who stop and ponder and face reality normally have a measure of fear if no other reason than fear of the unknown. But many people are afraid to die. A woman by the name of Florence was afraid to die. She uh, served as a nurse for three years in a war zone. And when she came home, at the age of 37, she told her friends that uh, she believed that her life hung by a thread and she was going to bed. And she did. And she stayed there for 53 years. And doctors could find nothing physically wrong with her. Most concluded that she was a hopeless hypochondriac, just obsessed with the fear of death. Florence's last name was Nightingale. Florence Nightingale died at the age of 90, and she never conquered her fear of death. Muhammad Ali was afraid to die. He once said, I'm scared of no one. I'm only scared of death. When Roger Miller died, his good friend Willie Nelson refused to allow anybody in his family to bring up that subject of death. And when it came time to attend Roger Miller's funeral, Willie Nelson got in his car, but he never arrived. He just couldn't face the subject of death head on. We just came out of a pandemic that affected most of the world. Over six million people died from COVID. You say, wait a minute. Those figures are inflated. No, that's the low figure. I didn't use the inflated one. Six million people died of COVID. And you'll see folks today, I see them at Costco often. They're out and about, but they're doing everything they can to avoid contact with anybody. They have a mask on, they have their little container of antibacterial product in their hand, and they're looking around. Their eyes are little beady eyes looking around, scared to death. They're nervous, they're afraid. And then we have friends and loved ones who are dying. We were notified, I think, this last week that one of our friends was diagnosed uh, with Alzheimer's. Uh, cancer, heart disease, mass killings on the streets, in the schools, in shopping malls, so that some folks have become paranoid with the subject because they're aware that they're vulnerable at any time. Their life can be taken away. You know, the Bible says a whole lot about the subject of death. And as you know, uh, I think the church has some things wrong on the subject of death. Um, we've minimized it. We've trivialized it. We've celebrated it, even though death in Scripture is called our enemy in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26. 
If death is our enemy, I don't think we ought to celebrate it. Death is seen not as a time of celebration in Scripture. Death is seen as a time of mourning and a time of introspection. A time of remembering that, that we're mortal. When Abraham's wife Sarah died, we read that Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and weep over her. There's no celebration of life there. Or Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, it is better to go to a house of mourning than it is to a funeral, than to a house of feasting than it is to a party. For death is the destiny of every man, the living should take this to heart. No celebration there. A funeral was to remind us of the brevity of life. And the pastor is to close the eyes of the dead and he tries to open the eyes of the living. Reminding them that they may be next. Even the perfect, perfect son of God, he went to Lazarus' tomb. And it was there that you find those famous words. Jesus wept. The biblical, emotionally healthy, Christ-like, proper, mature response to death is to mourn. It's to weep. Sometimes it's just to get angry. To remember that, that sin did that. Adam's sin brought death to the human family. Sin did that. Sin separated me from my loved one. Sin has taken that one away from me. Sin's done that to us. And we took the bait, now we die. And that's not the way it was supposed to be. Now I must tell you, for the sake of honesty, that there is one exception in the scripture to that rule. It's found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, for those who care to look. Dr. Warren Wearsby, I just love this guy. He was the pastor at the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. And as a young pastor, I was interested in studying preaching and pastors. And Warren Wiersbe had an article every month in what was called the Good News Broadcaster magazine. And he was saying some things about that and how he had spent his life studying pastors and preaching. And I wrote him a letter. And I asked him for resources so I could study it like he did. And he sent to me a hand-typed letter. And I thought, you know, Busy pastor, they didn't have a lot of time to do stuff like that. And I knew it was a shot in the dark for him to, to respond to my letter, but he did. And he, he was one of the greatest pastors we ever, ever knew. Preached the Word of God simply. Any, anything you read by Warren Wiersbe is good. And Warren Wiersbe, when he was pastor at Moody Church, had a friend that uh, passed away. And Dr. Wiersbe went to the memorial service. It was not in his church. Another pastor had the service. And so he went to the memorial service and he walked up to the, uh, to the widow. And he said to her, he said, you know, I have come to help you celebrate the coronation. And she looked at him with a bit of agitation. And she said, Pastor, you might see it as a coronation. I see it as a loss. I see it as sorrow. And besides, Pastor, where in Scripture is a memorial, memorial service described as a coronation? I believe she's right. And Dr. Warren Wiersbe came to agree with her. No, 
We don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We have hope, but we sorrow. We have the hope in the return of Christ and a future, future resurrection and a new heaven and a new earth, the eternal home of the righteous. But we do sorrow. And we should sorrow. If you don't sorrow at death of a loved one, you've got a problem. You're not looking at things biblically. And I don't think churches often let people grieve as they should. And I don't think churches often let people vent their anger and their frustration as they should. So God sent me to make up for it. <laughs> Jeanette Lockerbie was the former editor of Psychology for Living magazine. And she tells about a minister whose wife suddenly died she had been active in the church. She'd been loved by the whole congregation. And Jeanette Lockerbie writes this. She says, I remember so well the church announcement of her funeral. The announcement read, Come and wear your brightest colors as we celebrate your home going. Fine. The congregation was just following the teaching this pastor had given them for a score of years. And everyone did the right thing, and the minister bore up admirably and celebrated with his people the death of his life partner. And months later, I happened to be a guest in the home where the pastor was also visiting. I scarcely recognized the ghost of the man that he had become. His deep sorrow at the snatching away of his beloved wife suppressed in the interest of Christian expectations of him, had worked its devastation in his life, both physically and emotionally. His brave front was nothing but a mask to hide his true feelings, and such masks are deadening. I've seen that. Some time ago, an article in the Reader's Digest was written by John Langeman, and he tells about another minister's reaction to death. He writes, recently the minister in our church had to carry tragic news to the parents of a 12-year-old boy. Their son had drowned on a school outing. And later the parents told me, the preacher did not preach to us and tell us to be brave. Instead, he broke into tears and he wept with us. We will always love him for that. That is the biblically, emotionally healthy, Christ-like, proper, mature response to death, regardless of the age of the loved one lost. You need to know what the Bible says about death. And you need to prepare to die. A gentleman walked into a restaurant and he asked the maitre d, can you tell me how you prepare your chicken? And the maitre d replied, yes. We just tell them right out, you're not gonna make it. <laughs> and that's what we wanna tell you this morning. You're not gonna make it. We want to prepare you for death. <clears throat> Let me give you just four brief observations from the book of Hebrews. Starting with Hebrews chapter 9 and verses 27 and 28. There it says this. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. <laughs> what a great passage. Here's the first point. Death is something we all must face. 
Man is destined to die once. You know, you've heard the quips, uh, our old accountants never die, they just lose their balance, you know. <laughs> or old musicians never die, they just decompose. <laughs> old librarians never die, they just check out. And old lawyers never die, they just lose their appeal. Yeah. Well, that's just not true. Old accountants and old musicians and old librarians and old... Lawyers eventually die because scripture says man is destined to die once. But it's not just accountants and musicians, librarians and lawyers. It's doctors, nurses, they die, teachers, sons, daughters, husbands and wives, old men and babies. And rather than a celebration of life, we should at least stop and say, God, what have we done? Our sin caused this. As members of Adam's race, death has fallen on us all. And Lord, we thank you that, that Jesus, by his life, by his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension, by his coming again, has given us hope. I watched my parents die. They slowly aged, and then they died. And now I watch myself slowly age and one day I will die because the Bible says man is destined to die once now why does he say man is destined to die once why not just say man is destined to die period because the Bible says there's the possibility of a second death all of us are destined to die once that's physical death and that death is inescapable. But you are not destined to die twice. There's a second death, but that's a death you can escape. That's a death you can avoid. The second death is mentioned in Revelation 2.11, uh, chapter 20, verse 6, chapter 20, verse 14, chapter 21, and verse 8. And the second death is the eternal death. In other passages of scripture, it's called eternal fire, eternal punishment, eternal judgment, the lake of fire, and hell. And the second death is not destined. You are destined to die once. You are not destined to die twice. Now you have an option. Now you have an opportunity. Now you have a choice in the matter. And you determine whether you experience the second death. The second death is avoidable, but only through Christ. But all of us are destined to die once. Nobody gets out of this one alive. Johnny Cash was one of my favorite singers and one of the last albums that he recorded, he sang, everyone I know goes away in the end. You can't have it all, my empire of dirt. <laughs> death is something that we have to face, point one. Point two, death is not the end. What does it say? Just as man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Now, if you read that verse without reading the rest of Scripture, you might conclude that as soon as you die, you immediately face judgment. The judgment of God. His final appraisal of your life. 
But if you read the rest of Scripture, you learn that that, that would not be a proper conclusion. You learn that the judgment of God, judgment day, does not take place until after the resurrection, at the end of time. And so there's a major lapse in the words after that. But one day, we will all stand before God on the day of judgment. And it's there that we will have to give an account of what did we do with Jesus Christ. Did we trust Him? Did we love Him? Did we worship Him? Or did we ignore Him? Or reject Him? Or even despise Him? Either way, death is not the end. There is a resurrection day and judgment. Death is followed by, in time, the resurrection of the body and the judgment and evaluation of God. Point three. Death was experienced by Jesus on our behalf. For this, we turn to Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 9 and 14 and 15. And it is a, a bit of a complex text. Here's what it says. But we see Jesus. Verse 9. Now this is the first time the name of Jesus is used in the book of Hebrews. Just a trivia point. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Now that refers to when the Son of God became a real man. A flesh and blood man. And mankind in its present state is a little lower than the angels. But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels, but now crowned with glory and honor. Right now, the man Jesus is exalted in heaven above the angels. Now he is crowned with glory and honor. And I told Patty this morning, I said, all week I've been working on this. He, he doesn't give us any detail of how to get there. You know, he's here. He became a man. He's lower than the angels. But now he's crowned with glory and honor. What was the stage for him to get there? And my conclusion is that the writer of Hebrews left that out because he was writing to believers and he expected the believers to fill it in because they were theologically sound. How did he get there? And then the rest of the verse says how he got there. Because he suffered death so by, by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The word taste is a somatic expression that means he experienced it fully. When we think of taste, we think maybe a nibble, you know, nibble taste. But here, that's now the Semitic understanding of it. He experienced it fully. Jesus experienced death fully. Not only did he die physically, but he took upon himself the wrath of God for all the sins of the world. Jesus became a man so that he could identify with the human race and experience fully on our behalf death. He died on Calvary's cross. He was resurrected by the Father. He ascended into heaven. And now he was crowned with glory and honor. That was the process. He was born. He lived. He died. He rose again, he ascended into heaven, and exalted in heaven. He was given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he took that path because it was the Father's will. And he took that path because it was the only means of our salvation. 
death was experienced by Jesus on our behalf. But there's more. Not only did he become a human and taste death for everyone and bear our sin and rise from the dead and ascend to heaven to be crowned with glory and honor, but he destroyed the devil in the process. Look at verse 15. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 14 and 15. Since children have flesh and blood, and that's us, he too shared in their humanity, he became a man, so that by his death, he might destroy him. And if you look on the screen, you won't find the words destroy. The Greek word there for destroy can mean annihilate. It can mean to put out of existence. Or it can mean to render powerless. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan was not annihilated. He's still working today. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan was not put out of existence. He's still quite active. But when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, Satan was rendered powerless. He no longer can create the fear of death within us because we know what our future holds. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity so that by his death he might destroy or render powerless him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Here's the logic. Jesus came to this earth as a man to identify with the human family who was lost because of sin. Because the devil is the author of sin, and it was through sin that death came to the human family. In that sense, Satan exercises power over the realm of the dead. But Jesus conquered death through his resurrection. And now we no longer have to fear death. Because death has been defeated. Thereby Satan has been defeated. Jesus tasted death. Jesus rose again. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor. And so shall you one day if you follow Jesus Christ. Amen. You will die. You will rise. And you will be crowned with glory and honor. Because you know Jesus. Boy, wait till next week's sermon. <laughs> I, it's not on death, but you're going to be crowned with glory and honor. Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus was crowned, <coughs> and Satan has been defeated, rendered powerless. And so you will die, but in Christ you will rise, and you will be crowned with glory and honor, death is not your final destination. It will lead you to the Father. And Jesus has paved the way. And if you know Christ, you'll follow him. And Satan can no longer use the fear of death to intimidate you, to paralyze your life. That's his point. Death need not be feared for those who are in Christ. When I taught Bible and theology at a Christian high school, one day I asked all of my classes the question, why did you become a follower of Jesus Christ? And I basically received from all my classes two answers. Half of my students said one thing, half of my students said another thing. Half of my students said something like this, I put my trust in Jesus Christ because I responded to his love. I responded to what he did for me on Calvary's cross. He loved me so that he was willing to take my sin upon himself. And now I'm returning his love. The other half of my students did something different. 
They said, I, I put my trust in Jesus Christ because I was afraid to die. I knew that I was not ready to meet God. I was living for myself. I knew that if I had died, I would die unforgiven. So I came to Jesus to be cleansed of my sin so I'd be ready to die. Now I can live because I'm ready to die. I came to Jesus because I was afraid to die. Both answers are biblically valid. But I personally identified with the second group. One night when I was a teenager, I was sitting up in bed and God spoke to my heart. I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a home that had uh, a missionary in it. Uh, I went to church every Sunday. Everybody at church thought I was a Christian. My whole family thought I was a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. I looked like a Christian. I did all the things Christians are supposed to do, but deep in my heart, I, I love my sin. I just kept it quiet. And that night, while just sitting up in bed, it just hit me, hey, if you die tonight, you're as lost as Judas. And I couldn't shake it. And just in the quietness of my bedroom, with no fanfare, no supernatural voices, <laughs> no spiritual manifestations, just in the quietness of my bedroom, I bowed my heart and trusted Christ sincerely. And ever since then, I've no longer been afraid to die. Are you afraid to die? There's a solution for you. His name is Jesus. And you want to trust Jesus while you can, because tomorrow may be too late. I've told this story before. But I'll tell it again. In high school, I worked at McDonald's on McLaughlin. Now, the McDonald's on McLaughlin today is not where it used to be. It used to be down the road a little bit. It used to be where all that glitters is not gold is at now. And I worked at McDonald's for several years. And so did a bunch of the other kids in the neighborhood. And we got to be really, really close. I mean, not only do we work day and night at McDonald's, but uh, we had our own softball team, and we'd play softball together against other McDonald's units, and, and there's a group of us that became very tight. That's not normally the case in fast food restaurants. The turnover is just so great. But this crew just stayed together for years. And one day, after I had graduated from college, after I had been pastoring in a church, one day I decided I was gonna stop by the old McDonald's unit and see who's still there, if anybody. Well, nobody was there. But another guy came in to order at McDonald's that was part of the old crew. And I thought, oh, this is a divine appointment. I had talked to him when I was a high school student about the Lord, and he very politely uh, rejected any word from God. And so we were talking, I said, what are you doing now? He says, I'm selling insurance. I said, really? He said, yeah, would you like to buy some life insurance? And I said to him, and he knew where I was going with it. <laughs> I said, well, your life insurance costs money. The insurance that I have is free, and it's forever. And he smiled, and he kind of laughed it off. But he knew that I was sharing with him again, trust Jesus. 
A week went by and I got a phone call. And it was from a mutual friend. And they mentioned his name that I saw at McDonald's. They mentioned his name and he said he passed away this week. Mm. I said, you're kidding. Patty and I went to the funeral in Oregon City. It was the saddest funeral I ever attended. No hope there. That's why we say trust Christ now, because tomorrow may be too late. I don't say that as an empty threat. I say that as a fact. So are you afraid to die? Then trust Jesus. He became a man, flesh and blood, and he died for you. Not only physically did he die, but spiritually he took his sins. Then he rose again. Then he ascended into heaven. Then he is crowned with glory and honor. And so shall you, if you trust in him. It's not going to work. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that out of your infinite love, you sent him, your precious, only begotten son, to become a real man. And to bear upon himself our sins that has led us into death. We thank you that when he hung upon that cross, he said, it is finished. It's paid in full. It's accomplished. Our sin has been atoned for. But only by becoming followers of Jesus Christ can we escape the fear of death. Thank you for what he did for us on the cross. Thank you that the devil has been defeated and that we who once were afraid to die no longer have to be afraid again because we will be in the arms of Jesus Christ all the way to the throne. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.